evening. Well, it, I don't know about you, but it seems hard to believe we've only been here a day. <laughs> you know, you feel so settled in here and so still in here, and yet there's just been this, in our experience, this really lovely, tender-hearted atmosphere today. Mm-hmm. It's been a wonderful city. So, how's it going? Any comments on what you're experiencing today? I found it uh, very profound. Profound? Mm-hmm. Particularly the um, suggestion to see ourselves as a baby. Oh, so seeing yourself as a baby. Yes, yes, mm-hmm. yes. And then that combined with, it's funny how you could hear something so many years and then you hear it, that the quote from the Buddha about searching the whole world for someone worthy of your love more than yourself and not finding it. Those two pieces were just so amazing. Jesus commenting on the quote from the Buddha that you can look the world over and not find anyone more worthy of your love than yourself. How impactful that was. Thank you. Anyone else? I found myself really surprised. I expected this would develop as a more um, kind of bursting heart sort of thing, but instead it's been uh, steadying and deepening and Increasing sort of subtlety to the experience. Okay. Mm-hmm. So his comment was he, was he was expecting more of a sort of a heart bursting type of development. More more intense. More intense. More. Mm-hmm. And it turned out to be more, I guess, introspective, more. And more uh, subtle. Subtle and yeah, opening. Stilling and deepening. Stilling and deepening within. Mm-hmm. With, with the quality of metta, with the, yes. the tone of metta. So that was really kind of deepening and stilling within. Yeah, beautiful. Anybody have difficulty with it? Lynn? A little bit. It, you know, with the other retreats that I've been with you guys on, um, uh, I think maybe because this, this one is an emotional quality, it's, it's more challenging for me to, to feel it, although the, the goodness is kind of easy to happens to but I, my mind tends to want to fantasize rather you know the breath is like oh I'm off the breath whereas with the emotional quality it's kind of like oh la la everyone's so happy and I'm like oh yeah me <laughs> so it's, it's a little uh, try, it's a little harder than with uh, Anapanasati to to avoid the fantasy mm-hmm. right now so, so were you using yourself as the object yeah, I only use myself as the object today, so I haven't, okay. I haven't really investigated what it would be like with other people. And, and so what was it when you were coming in contact with yourself and goodness that you found yourself moving off into fantasy? Or That's a really good question. I'll have to pay attention. Yeah, the exact moment when I start to fantasize. Right, right. Because that could be really interesting for you to see. Is it really the having contact with you or is it actually being in contact with your goodness and you? Yeah. I just want to echo though that it is um, because there's there's more um, there can be more mental engagement in this practice. It's not as obvious as with the Anapanasati where it's it's so you know it's a direct sensation. And um, it can be more. It, it can be easier to tell with the Anapanasati when we're when we're drifting, whereas with this, it might not be as easy. At the same time, it does give the mind something to do. So more positive than Yeah, yeah. So you know, but there's a difference there. Yeah. So you're just noticing that. And, and again, the Anapanasati we're talking about is mindfulness of breathing. The other retreats we lead are about that, and it's the breath crossing here. So Lynn's been on a number of retreats, and she's commenting that it's easy to tell when she's away because she's not with the breath here. Mm-hmm. Where with this, the, because of the mind, it's easy to get. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Catherine. I have two questions. The first is, 
Uh, you mentioned that we use uh, may I be safe, may I be happy, may I be healthy as support for the object which is ourself. Correct. And what I'm wondering is when I know I need that support and when I don't need that support. And I'm usually yeah, in touch with the self enough to move off of that. Mm-hmm. Should I ask the second question? Yeah, so her first question was, how does she know when she doesn't need the support of the phrases or the word anymore? Yeah, and it's, it's a little harder to tell with this practice than it is with the Anapanasati. Um, If you find yourself going into where you're wandering away from yourself as the object or from the content that we're working with, that would tell you that probably it'd be good to stay with at least the words as a support. So it's kind of like with accounting, you know, where with accounting, if we find that we're going off in the Anapanasati, it's, you know, that can tell us it's good to keep come back and use it again. So it's it's kind of similar with us. Um, ha- what happened in your experience? Well, for me, it's uh, the self is a physical sensation. It's being with uh, a heart sensation, or sensations in the air in my heart, and then it feels as though that's just being with and it's all right to leave me. Mm-hmm. Okay. But I haven't had any sense. That I, I wondered about the, the idea of goodness. And if that doesn't... I haven't been looking for goodness. And I'm wondering... I think I have a... I'm wondering if that sets up a bit of a polarity or who's a, what's good and what's bad. Yeah, there is that. I mean, that that is one of the... So what she's saying is two things. One is that when she's aware of herself, it's that she... There's a physical sense of your, your presence as, as a... It's, there's a bodily felt sense of that. And, um, and so when you're feeling solid with that, is that when you've gone... You've dropped the phrases? Is that what you are... Well, that's when I feel that it's... It's, yeah, yeah. That seems like a good a good way to evaluate and at least try it out. See what happens if you find that um, there isn't enough stability. Then you can always reintroduce some subtle support from that. Sounds sounds skillful. Yeah. And then the other question. I don't know if this is another question, but uh, about the goodness. And is there something? Are we evaluating, or is there a sense of good and bad? And having to make some kind of judgment. Is that? Yeah, I was actually thinking about that today. And, and we're taking what is the traditional way of um, that it's framed. I'm assuming this is how the Buddha talked about it, as whoever the person is noticing their goodness. Um, and really the truth is that all beings are precious. So it's not as though now there's some of us have goodness and others don't. You know, I mean, we teach from a, a standpoint of Buddha nature and that we all have that. So there's a preciousness that's inherent in every being. So, um, I don't know, Jeff, yeah. I, I think it's important to tease apart the distinction between the evaluation of behavior and memory. Mm-hmm. Have I been good? Have I been bad in these situations? Mm-hmm. Versus, as Tina is saying, the innate goodness, yeah. which isn't dependent upon behavior or memory or circumstance. It's like when we, we would see a newborn baby, 
most of our reaction would be that there's a goodness there. Mm-hmm. And yet they're not actually doing anything that's generating our... We're not evaluating, well, you can't speak yet, so that's not, you know... Yeah, they're really good at their job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, so, so this, is what, this is what we're speaking to, is just innate goodness rather than behavioral or evaluative goodness. So you might see if that's getting in there or not. It may not be, but it's mm-hmm. worth exploring. Yeah, there, there might be a way of sort of framing the goodness as looking at um, at qualities maybe that are I mean this is again that could be seen as, as a judgment um, and at the same time we all have certain qualities that make make us unique to some extent that everybody else doesn't have that same configuration. So this is a way maybe of, of looking at, at our own goodness that honors our uniqueness, and yet it isn't so much saying, it's not a judgment. Was there another question? Or, okay. Perhaps I did not um, totally understand the instructions, but I thought I was to stay with the um, safe. Because it would uh, frequently it would become incredibly faint as if it was just going to grow, and I would stay with it because I thought that was a concentration practice. So did I miss something? Can I let go of the words? Her question is about the phrases when she, she didn't let go today and wondered about that. And were you able to stay with the object which initially was you? Pretty comfortably, we are able to also stay and have the feeling, the contact with your goodness. Okay. It, 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 our perspective is if, if you're clearly in contact with yourself as the object, and if you're feeling that innate goodness for yourself, then you can see about letting go of the phrases and seeing if you can still feel that contact between the two. That's really what's important. Mm-hmm. And notice, again, if you, as people have mentioned, if you start finding yourself drifting away doing other things, then that's the time to reintroduce the phrases, or as I mentioned at some point, um, you can reduce those down to the single word if, if that's helpful too. I find it helpful myself because it gets kind of clunky having these phrases. And there's also, I think Stephen mentioned this, there's a way of almost... Um, not using a word, so not sort of getting to the conceptual level of it, of the of word, but having sort of just a movement around the intention around safe, healthy, happy. You know, so there's there's even a level that's more subtle than the phrase or the word, but is still there's still something there. So that's kind of, you know, that's a little bit of a stage in between just not having anything and the actual words that are phrases. So that might be another way to experiment with. But this is where, you know, a lot of how we hear about a taught and we've experienced it being taught, the phrases get overemphasized and it's really the goodness and the metta that is generated from in response to seeing that goodness that is really the core of the practice. And to also say too, that this is a presentation, it's a presentation we learn. So when we say that people do it differently, we're not presenting that in an evaluative or comparative way to say this way is better, this is the way we know, this is the way we teach. So just to be clear, I know some of you practice with others. Anyway, thanks. I got down to um, the word, and then I could I found that each word had a different feeling mm-hmm. in my body, and mm-hmm. so then I dropped the word and would just go through the feelings, or you know those sensations of what where I felt safety, where I felt happy, where I felt happy, you know the where those were, mm-hmm. and. And so I would rotate through them. And then, and then I was wondering, and then I started trying to go down, you know, reversing them instead of, I was going to say healthy. I started going the opposite way. And then I started wondering whether 
I was just playing with it, or, you know, I started wondering if I was making a game of it, or, you know. Mm-hmm. So, so the question, she was seeing with the phrases and feeling them in the body, feeling where safe was and where healthy, happy, etc. And then at some point when she felt established in her body, was reversing the order of the phrases to see what that was like. And that led to the question of, is this a playing with your phrases, or is there something more here? And uh, that's really a question you'll need to answer, is whether it's, it's, you know, again, the object is you and your goodness, the feeling of your goodness. The phrases support your being in contact with your innate goodness and yourself. So if the phrases, it sounds like maybe the phrases were becoming the object in terms of the bodily felt qualities. You didn't actually mention yourself or your goodness, so I don't know. Yeah, it's, I guess what, what I would just tease out of that is that it's like the phrases are supporting a well-wishing. Mm-hmm. for, And that's the metta is really the well-wishing. So... Um, you know, this is where when we're doing it for ourselves, it's a little different than when it's someone else, where we're not necessarily going to have the sensation of feeling safe mm-hmm. when it's for another, whereas when we're wishing it for ourselves, we might actually feel that. So I'd say, I mean, to me, the reversing the order and such might feel like a little bit of playing with it. Mm-hmm. So I guess something to just wonder in your own practices what's that why do that you know what's that for um, I'm not sure what it adds yeah is it making the contact or is it becoming your object that's the, the explanation yeah. I was trying to be clear about where that felt and what that was and just sure. trying to investigate being precise about or mm-hmm. skilled about identifying where where that sensation was. Right. Well, you, yeah. you, you may be a more kinesthetic person, too, to really have the physical contact might be more useful for you. Yeah, yeah so fine. if that's useful for you, then, you know, it seems, yes. it seems fine. Yeah, and I really, I'll talk in a minute about metta and, you know, some additional instructions, but that's for those of you who are kinesthetic and when you're doing the practice for yourself, that's a way to be really in touch with not only the wish for yourself to be safe or, you know, whatever your phrases are, but to actually feel that. And and this is part of, with metta in particular, um, like one of the one of the okay. ways. Can I just do a job oh, sure. on that? Yeah. The other thing I, I get curious about is when you move to a different person, whether that's still what's happening. You're still feeling the bodily sensation if it's someone else. If you're doing the benefactor, for example. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that, that's where my, it might be interesting Cheers. later. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, go ahead. So should we go on? Yes. Okay. okay. So then just a few more things about metta, um, and some of what I'll talk about really applies to all of the other Brahmaviharas too, so these are sort of general um, ways of holding a practice. And one of the things, so Thais was um, really going through the phrases and relating in a way that was kinesthetic, Another way that we can work with um, having a little bit more connection with whatever the phrases are is to actually visualize the person or ourselves. Um, like, where would that person feel really safe? Where would that, you know, what would you visualize that person doing or yourself that would be really happy? or healthy. So like when I'm doing metta for myself, you know, that's fairly easy to do because I know what, where, you know, if I could just have a visual on where I would feel safe, like maybe it's, you know, snuggled up in bed at night or something like that, or or healthy. Maybe it's doing some activity. Um, So these are, this is another, for some people this is too complicated, so I'm just offering this as a way to really be connected with um, 
that well-wishing uh, is to include just like it's like a snapshot of the person in a setting where they might feel safe or healthy or happy or at ease. And so with ourselves, we can know what that would be. With others, we're kind of guessing. But it's also a way of, um, it just deepens that contact. For, for people who are visual, it can deepen the contact with our wishes for that person, rather than just kind of having a static um, connection with the person and with our intention. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so if somebody's kinesthetic, this might not work for someone else, like if you were doing meta for another person uh, to feel it, but for yourself, that might be a, a way to be connected also with, with those intentions. Um, now, the, the categories of beings, we didn't get into that too much because we didn't want to sort of give a whole bunch of instructions at one time, but we'd like to spend a, a, just a few minutes talking about the categories because basically the same categories are in all of the different Brahma Viharas, they're just in different orders. And uh, as I mentioned this morning, each Brahma Vihara, the intention is to start with the easiest and work towards the hardest. So that's why the order is different depending on the Brahma Vihara. So, it, you know, with Metta, sometimes starting with ourself isn't the easiest, but the, for the reasons we mentioned before, it's usually done that way. And this is where, for some people, starting with a benefactor or a pet or, you know, wherever it's easiest is a way to then bridge to doing yourself. So benefactor is a person who... Um, is usually somebody we don't know real well personally, but it's somebody who's helped us, somebody who's, um, you know, been kind to us, who's, who's helped us in our path or in our life, and where there isn't a complicated relationship. It's very easy to feel grateful and to, to kind of want to repay that person or reciprocate their generosity towards us. So this is why we normally start with a benefactor. Um, I don't know that I need to say any more about that. Friend, this would be somebody who, you know, whose company you enjoy, who's, where it's a chosen relationship. I'll talk about family at the end. So, so just, just there we can plug our family members into a lot of these different places, pretty much any of these different places as I go through it. So um, I'll talk about that later. But friend is, is somebody who we have, who we have a warm-hearted relationship with. Maybe there's a little bit of complication there sometimes, but um, it's generally a warm-hearted and close relationship. Neutral person would be somebody, like when I was doing this today, we recently moved to a new place, and I was choosing some of our neighbors who we've met, and we know their names, and we're friendly with them, but I don't really know them very well. And so, you know, that seemed kind of nice to choose some of our neighbors as the neutral person, because I want to I feel warmly towards them, and it's, it's easy to do, but I, I don't really have a close relationship with them. Then uh, the next is difficult person. So this is, you know, we're working up to this. And again, family members can come in any category. So um, a difficult person would be where there's, you know, there's been some tension. It could be a complicated relationship where maybe even there's a lot of love there, but there's also, you know, it's complicated. And um, so normally we would work up to difficult person. And the idea is that if we can feel loving kindness towards a difficult person, then we, we can feel it towards anybody. And so ultimately, then that allows us to have a bridge to all beings. So difficult person, um, as we go through the categories, sometimes it, it's harder to be in contact with whatever the Brahmvihara is, in this case, loving-kindness. And so, you know, this is where we want to be gentle with ourselves and not then have a lot of judgment if we're not feeling metta towards any category, if maybe is not arising, to just be really gentle with ourselves and not, not force it. This is a cultivation. 
it's already there. It's not something you need to get, but being in contact with it does get harder as we go through the categories, or it can. And then all beings um, is really the idea here is that anybody that we encounter, is it possible to feel metta towards anybody that we encounter, any being? And one of the things that we've noticed that happens is sometimes, like, sometimes we'll find people who want to do self and then go straight to all beings. And conceptually, that sounds like it might be a really good idea. But doing all beings, it can become a very conceptual exercise, where it's sort of like this vague, nebulous, all beings kind of thing out there. And it's not actually people. It's this concept of all these beings. So this is why, really, the practice is not intended to be done that way, where you just skip over. Because actually going through individuals is, uh, it actually works the territory in a different way. So like when, when I do all beings, I, like today, when I was doing all beings, um, I sort of allowed for different categories of beings, individuals, to come forward. Like maybe a difficult person would come up, and then a very close friend would come up, and then my neighbor, or you know somebody at the grocery store, and then um, you know our pets would come up, and you know so it, it's more like there's a way that it becomes more generalized, but generalized to individuals. Does that make sense? So that we're not just, it's not just this sort of vague all beings things that's happening. It's actual individual beings. And um, so this is how we recommend doing all the all beings category. And your point about just going from self to all beings, it, it doesn't let you have the opportunity to work with the neutral person, the difficult person. And, and all these, to really have a sense of what is it like to find their goodness, especially with the difficult people. And sometimes neutral people, sometimes that's challenging because you don't know them at all. So it's hard to grab onto. So anyway, mm-hmm. it's, it's important to do those to, to really get the, how to make the contact and how to really have uh, met to be generated for them. Yeah, and like today I was doing, um, when I was doing the difficult person, I was thinking, I don't really have that much conflict in my life right now. You know, it was pretty nice, actually. <laughs> but then I realized we're part of a group, and there's one person in that group that I don't know very well, but the, he has certain, a certain quality that just kind of rubs me the wrong way. And as I really sat with that person, I realized I, I had a little bit of resistance to actually doing the matter for this person, even though I don't know him very well. It was kind of surprising. And it didn't really take that long for me to actually see that within the thing that bothers me about him, there's actually something I really admire. And so now it was, and it became really easy to do metta for this person, which is a a great gift, because next time I'm around him, I'll probably feel differently. I mean, I wish I had done it a lot sooner, actually. So this this is the power of really going through doing it for individual people. Because, you know, now it's that person and he, you know, in six months he might not even be in my life anymore, but there'll be somebody else. And so this is where it becomes, um, it's the cultivation of capacity that when we're out and we're engaging in the world and uh, these things come up, we can respond in a different way. It sounds when you describe that when I think of Sati practice mm-hmm. that the notion of thinking and cognition is to be avoided or not to be engaged. It sounds like there's a lot of thinking that's going on with what you're you're being analytical about this difficult personal and, and I'm wondering how much of this practice is engaged with actually processing thought. Yeah, so the question is how much this seems to have a lot more thought involved than the Anapanasati, which absolutely. Um, And, I mean, really, it's necessary. If we're going through these different categories, and, I mean, 
it can become more automatic where it's not like we're having to rack our brains for something. But um, we're conditioning ourselves in such a way that um, we're going against the norm, the normal tendencies, which is to just have our initial or our habitual reaction. And we're trying to find a way, I mean, in some ways you could say it's kind of an antidote. But once we're in contact with it, like with this person, that'll be automatic. I mean, I might still not really care for this other aspect of this person, but I will see the thing that I admire. Mm -hmm. And that'll be automatic, so I won't be having to think about it at that point. Does that make sense? So initially there might be, you know, this is where we're using our thinking capacity to cultivate the heart. And, you know, the, that, the heart can support the thinking, and the thinking can support the heart. It's not like they have to be separated from each other. And, and, and that's the point that's important, is that this is an interplay of the heart and the head, where, the, again, the head's, in, in effect, in service to the heart in this practice, mm-hmm. where it's helping to, to discern and make some discriminations and discernments, uh, like he did with a typical person. But it's not where we're going to cut off the heart and do a normal everyday, go to the head and figure it out and then come back. We're trying to say, we're not just sticking exclusively to the heart. Right. Well, you, you can see, you can navigate it as you need to, but you'll, you'll know if there needs to be, if you've if you're, if you're worked with a difficult person and you're stuck, you're just if you've got a person, you can see about changing people, that's always can be skillful. But if, but if you change and it's the same thing, then it needs to be some some investigation of what's happening here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's not like you got it. Yeah. So then um, family members. And I mean this is an amazing practice to do in relation to family members. So we want to really encourage you that either this week or at some other time that it is a very skillful practice to do with regard to family members. And when I did my year-long solo retreat, I actually spent a whole week on each of my parents where they were the object of, and this, you know, I was sitting like 10 hours a day. And I did a whole week for each of my parents separately. And it was amazing. I mean, it really was very memorable experience for me. And then at the end of the week, I dedicated all my merit to, to that parent. And it was such a, I mean, it wasn't that easy to do because, you know, these are family relationships, they are complicated. You know, as much love as there, there's, you know, they're complicated. That's just how they are. And so these are wonderful practices to be able to include with family members. We just thought that maybe on the first day, you know, it would be better to kind of work up to that, maybe. Um, so, so... Um, we have somebody on one of these who started off with like Metta, and they wanted to start with their father. And we said, what's your relationship like? Oh, it's really difficult. This is probably not the person to start with. Let's <laughs> <laughs> dad later in the list. Well, and you know, sometimes our family members could could be the same person, could be in every category. You know, so um, so that's really all I have to say about family members. I don't know if you want to add to that at all. No, I don't think so. Okay, so then there's, in each, with each Brahma-Vihara, there's also what, what's called the near enemy and the far enemy. So I'll just talk about what those are. And for Metta, the, the far enemy, which usually the far enemy is pretty obvious what it is. So with Metta, it's, it's things like hatred and anger and really aversive kind of orientation. And um, so... The Brahmaviharas are actually antidotes to whatever the five enemy is. So sometimes, like, you'll find, like, when we teach Anapanasati and people are on long retreats, if people are having a lot of aversion coming up, because doing really intensive concentration practice, you know, somebody sitting next to you, if they're breathing a little loud, or maybe they're not even breathing loud, but aversion is coming up anyway. 
So metta can be something that can be a good antidote to various things, or fear. Metta can be a wonderful antidote to fear, and this is one of the ways that the Buddha talked about using the Brahmaviharas as, as antidotes. So in this case, really, that, that's the, um, the far enemy. It's kind of like, what is the opposite of that Brahmavihara? So in this case, it's... Um, w- one of the things also that is interesting about the far enemy for metta is that like self, self-judgment and guilt, and uh, for a lot of people doing metta for ourselves, people can feel guilty doing metta for themselves. So if that applies to you, again, you don't need to add self-judgment to that, but just to notice that um, there may be something there that it's not okay to have this for yourself. And that then becomes something to work with because, as the Buddha said, you you are every bit as deserving of your own love as anyone else on the planet. So these are just things to work with in terms of, of the metta. And then the near enemy, that's, um, it's a little bit you know, less obvious, but it's something that kind of looks like the Brahmavihara, but it's not. So it's kind of um, like with metta, possessive love or conditional love where, okay, I'll have metta if you're doing things I like, but if you do something I don't like, then I'm cutting the metta off, you know. (laughs) Or possessive love where it's about sort of getting the person. Um, These are all different near enemies to metta where it's kind of like there's, there's strings attached to the metta. And you can also think of it as the, the uh, ego's interpretation and application of method. Mm-hmm. You know, what am I getting uh-huh. for this method that I'm giving? Something right. like that. Yeah, I give you the meta and then you owe me something because I did meta for you. Mm-hmm. You know, these are kind of ways of, it's, it's like taking it and distorting it into something that kind of looks like it, but it's not. So these are just things to be aware of when doing the practice. So, um, so going forward then, tomorrow morning, the first sitting at 6 o'clock, 6.30. or 6.30, we'd like to have you think about whether you want to continue on with Metta beyond tomorrow, and either tonight, beyond, beyond tomorrow morning, beyond yeah. tomorrow morning, um, either tonight or at the 8.45 sitting, we'll see how much longer this takes. Probably tomorrow. Tomorrow, okay. So tomorrow at the 8.45 sitting, Stephen will be going over Karuna. And so between now and then, you might want to just feel into, does it feel right for you to go on to Karuna, or do you want to stay with Metta? And it's completely up to you. We, we have no opinion about what you should do, really. It's, all, it's totally up to you. If you decide you want to continue with Metta, though, we want to just give you some options on that. So, um, but, but before we do that, we'd like you tomorrow morning, either way, if you've only done yourself today at the, at the morning sitting at 6.30, to please uh, attempt the other category of beings for Metta. So try and just make contact with people in different categories, see what that's like for you. Right, so if you're going on to Karuna, what we would suggest is that you do one sitting, like I did this in one of the sittings today. I start, so you always start with yourself with metta. So even if you're doing one other category being or one being, you always start with yourself. Um, But if you're going to go on to Karuna, what we would suggest is that you go, go through all of the other categories in that first sitting. And it is possible, like when I did it today, I went did one round of all the phrases, all the five that I use for each individual. And I did, I probably did about three or four people in each category. And for me, just because I felt drawn to doing more of the difficult person, I, I probably did about five difficult people. And then I did the all beings for the rest of the period. 
So if you are going to go on to Karuna, just so that you have an opportunity to experience going through the other categories, we'd like to suggest that you do that in that sitting. Although that sitting's only half an hour, right? It is. So you won't, you, you wouldn't be able to do as many, and you know, you may have, I may do it at a different rate. Done. But if you can do at least one in each category, it's good to make that contact mm-hmm. and see. Yeah. And, and and tomorrow we're doing it a little differently with Meta and Karuna. We're, we'll introduce Karuna tomorrow morning. Uh, most of them will introduce the night before and then start the day with it. It's just with this, we have a lot of the preliminaries we need to cover, so we decided to split them up a little bit and do it that way. And then if you're going on, if you're going to continue with Meta, there's a number of different ways you could do it. You could um, do a day with a category, although, or maybe half a day with a category. So, like, you might do half a day just on benefactors, and then half a day on friends, half a day on neutral people, and you know, and that way you would have some time through the rest of the week to um, to work through the different categories. You could pick one person and do the whole rest of the retreat for yourself or for a, a certain person. Or you could pick a day and do one person per day. You know, so we're not trying to make it complicated, but we're, you know, just giving you some options. Like I did a whole week for each of my parents. You know, so, so these are just different ways that you can think about you know, what do you want to do with your week doing a Brahma Viharas? Um, yeah, I think that's probably all I have to say on, on that. Yeah, but I do one announcement I wanted to make, and then we can see if there's any questions. Okay. Uh, the announcement, a reminder, interviews start tomorrow. You're all signed up on the interview sheet. Um, one error that's on the interview sheet is, you may have noticed, we have two slots for the 10.50 to 11 o'clock, and we won't actually be seeing two people at that time. Okay. So the second person who signed up for 10.50 to 11, we've moved you to 11 to 11.10, which is actually what the time should be. So if you could check that and see and make sure there's no conflict for you. That would be great. It's supposed to be in the time. It is. There's mm-hmm. no bulletin board there. Yeah, and hopefully everyone now has a slot. Does everyone have a session? Does not have a slot that you know? Okay. Good. So that's it on announcements. And I guess we could take a few questions if people have any on that. So, um, if you're in this presentation, when you're, if you're, when you're doing a Brahma Vihara practice, are you doing different ones of these at different times? That, that how, how do they fit together out in the your regular practice world? Mm-hmm. Okay. So the question was how how would this work in daily practice? Um, yeah, we, we normally recommend that whatever practice someone is doing, that you do it for a block of time, like a month or six months or a year, rather than, you know, one day you do one and one day you do another. So one could undertake a period just doing one Brahma Vihara, or you could undertake a period doing the Brahma Viharas as a group. Um, It'd be, I think it would be a lot to try and do all four in one, one sitting. So if you wanted to do a period of Brahma Viharas, you might do a week on each one. And That's what I'd recommend, yeah. is to take a month and to do each one, because they're really great to learn individually, and, and I'll take your question a little differently in terms of application. And that's where, by doing this, by having that contact, that's, and I told that story about myself, where I had something happen and I didn't know, I couldn't figure out how to respond, and yet the Brahmi horror arose. So then I knew what to do. I just said, oh, this is what's needed here. And in fact, that happened recently, recently with someone we knew who was in health crisis, and I did the, you know, standby Buddhist thing, went to Metta, began doing Metta, and within a few minutes it had switched to the 
the uh, upeka, the equanimity practice. And I was, and I did, went back to metta again, and started, and it switched again. And so I finally decided, well, clearly this is what's called for. You know, I'm doing, I'm doing metta from here, and what's coming out here is upeka. And it turned out to be the right, the right practice for the situation. Anybody else questions? Yes. Uh, I'm Cindy. And uh, my question is, when you're going through the different categories, you said you start with self, but I go back to self. Do I go self and benefactor, and then friend, and then neutral person, or do I go self, benefactor, self, neutral person, Yeah, good question. Yeah, so her question was, when you're going through the categories, do you come back to self kind of in between each category? And normally you don't. You're... And again, if you would find that useful, we don't, you know, have any reason not to do it. But you're, the, the progression normally, you're getting to more and more difficult um, beings. And so there's kind of a, na- there's a way where it feels like kind of a natural flow to go in that way. So that's how it's normally done. The, the one exception would be, say, say you come into meditation period, uh, tomorrow, and you find you're just for you had a, your yogi job, and you're somewhat scattered. It might make sense to spend a little time doing metta for yourself, sort of getting reestablished there, and then moving to whatever category you were working with. So you can use your own skill on that and your discernment, but it, it can be useful in those that instance. Yeah, it's like you're doing a whole sitting on just one category, then the recommendation would be to start with yourself. So so usually in doing metta, whatever you're going to be doing with that sitting, you would start with yourself. But if you're going through, you know, like one sitting with each category to come back to yourself in between would be kind of choppy. Uh, my name is Ed. Uh, do you, you mentioned earlier in the day about sustaining your practice throughout the retreat, not just on the cushion or in the walking period. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Um, I asked because I have another teacher I've worked with on Meta, and she was on a three-month retreat in Asia, and the very clear instruction was there is absolutely no thought whatsoever that's more important than Meta for yourself or or Karuna or whatever the instruction is at any time day or night (laughs) wow that's intense anyway can you talk a little more about your uh, suggestion on on sustaining uh, versus just in the sense to clarify are are, are you thinking that that what the instruction was in Asia is different than what we're saying no no it just just the periods in between the sits. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Working up as soon as you wake up or going to brush your teeth and trying to maintain some continuity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so just to repeat the question, he was asking about the continuity um, off the cushion or not at walking. Do we continue with the metta or whatever practice we're doing? Yeah, and so this is this is really where what you're pointing to is that this is a concentration practice. And really, even like when we're doing Vipassana, we're doing it from the minute we get up to the minute we go to bed. So this is the same. And it, especially when we're doing this practice really as a concentration practice, then it becomes even more important. But really... The instructions are the same, is that when you first wake up in the morning, even before you get out of bed, start with the metta. You know, start with metta for yourself, and then depending on what your practice is, it might vary. But really, we're, we're doing this as we're walking around, as you're brushing your teeth, as you're eating. Um, you're with the practice nonstop, or at least that's the intention. And like when, when we teach the Anapanasati, of course, same thing, except it's with the breath. But we talk about, um, like on the cushion, the great thing about 
being in a formal meditation is you don't have to do anything else. So it's fairly, it's a lot, theoretically, it's a lot easier to stay with whatever the object is than when you're, you know, chopping carrots or something. So, um, and we do want you to be paying attention if you're chopping carrots (laughs) or broccoli or anything else. Um, But what percentage of awareness can you have with the object? You're not going to have 100% because you need to have some awareness for the other, whatever you're doing. So, you know, can you see how much can you have 10% or 15 or 50% maybe if you're doing walking meditation? You know, if you're just walking back and forth, then it doesn't really take that much awareness to just walk back and forth. But if you're walking through the woods, that might take more awareness. So really, the instruction is the same here as it would be on a three-month retreat. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, with the with the following the breath practice, you know, there's counting to support it, or and then you just sort of let that go if you have enough stability. Um, is there a point where you're just letting go and being with whatever's arising then with this, or am I continually wanting to stay with the wanting to generate? Um, Mm-hmm. For example, is that clear? Because I'm unclear. Yeah, your, your question is about with the Anapanasati, there's a time when you would put down the support. And it sounds like your question is is there a time that you put down metta or you put down the phrases supporting metta? I guess the metta, too. Like, is there a time that you let that go? The only time you let go of metta is if you're seeing that there's a conceptual overlay on it, which is very sophisticated to see. But if you somehow saw you were holding it as some kind of an idea, rather than actually feeling it um, in your experience. Like maybe maybe you were were holding onto a memory when you knew you had metta in your experience. So that would be one to let go of. But when it's being generated, that you want to allow to keep happening. Yeah, so that, I mean, this is where, with the Brahmaviharas, it's important to remember that the proximate cause of the object is whatever being is the one that you're orienting towards. So, like when you're doing metta for yourself, um, I mean, that's kind of a good baseline because you're always there, you know. Um, as you're going on to other beings, then like on a retreat like this, you're encountering a lot of other beings. So then encountering the other beings becomes the object. You know, and then this is a great way to translate it into our everyday lives because we're encountering other beings all the time and it's nice to feel warm-hearted towards them. You know, so... So that's, we're never really letting go of that object, but it's not like we're trying to generate meta all the time. Okay. The meta is, it's, this is where sometimes it can feel really like a lot of work where I'm trying to like force this meta to come out. Yeah. Um, and I think sometimes that's why it gets dry for people. Because it's like you're trying to. I'm not saying that's what you're doing, but so there's, but there's just this. So you're never really letting go of encountering beings and and having the intention to wish them well. But but with the yeah, the the goodness of them, right? Those those should be always sort of happening in your experiences. But it is so. But there's another thing that you might be asking. I don't know. Like with Anapanasati, one of the things that's great about it, and this is why almost every meditation starts with the breath, is because you don't have to do anything for it to be there. With this, we actually have to do something. Yeah, and this is why the Buddha didn't really start with with anything other than the breath. That's why he always started with that, because um, it doesn't take any energy to have an object. But, oh, but what I was going to say was, like, with, with the breath, if you're really 
um, if the concentration really gets strong, at some point you don't even make much effort to, to be with the breath. And the same thing can happen with the Brahma Viharas. And the Right. Yeah, I don't think on a week that's very likely, but just just theoretically, the same thing is possible. Like I, I did metta for almost a month once, and um, it was self-generating. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't have to. There's no way I could have gone off of the object if I had tried to. It just it was just like with the breath, where it just it sort of had its own momentum. I think I missed this slightly, but in that sort of situation, and the object remains the being, it's not actually the felt experience of metta. Yeah, well, this is where, like with the Brahma Viharas, it's um, it's kind of a little bit like with Anapanasati, where the jhana factors start, mm-hmm. and they're sort of just coming up on their own. You're not turning towards them as the object, but but you you know you're kind of noticing that they're there because they're rising because the mind stream is getting purified. It's kind of like that with this, where I mean, with this there are also jhana factors. So we won't. If you don't know what that means, don't worry about it. We'll talk about it like in three or four nights. But the metta at some point can start to arise with the object, and so they kind of become almost like one thing. But, but remember that in concentration, our our task is always to be with the object. Right. So if the object is the, the person, and then the uh, and metta, the goodness, that's what we're working on. And if the metta is actually being produced, showing up, that's in relation to that. And so the, those may get more subtle, right? They may get more quiet, but they you you wouldn't let let them go necessarily. Okay. Yeah, because if like, you were going to follow this progression to jhana, you would stay with the object, and then you would develop from there the same as it does. Right. right. Like if some, all of a sudden the metta becomes the object, it's like, well, what's, right. what's it in response to? Right. You right. know, it's that's where sometimes I hear metta talked about, like you're trying to like push this thing out of your heart. Well, metta is something that arises naturally, and like Stephen was saying in the, in the situation with our friend who had the health issue, it was actually a different Brahma Vihara that was more appropriate mm-hmm. for that proximate cause. Mm-hmm. You know, so this is why we aren't trying to sort of make something come out, because these are all natural responses that are dependent on a proximate cause. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. 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 But at some point, they do start feeling like one right. thing. Yeah. 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 My name is David, by the way. Thanks, David. Hi. Um, I have a question about walking meditation and meta practice. I was working with myself when I was doing the work on the cushion today. When I transitioned to walking meditation, what manifested most easily was a sense of physicality, in particular lifting, moving, placing. Right. And I'm wondering how that connects with meta practice, if that is a transition point to work with meta and walking meditation, or if... I'm curious what your thoughts are on work with meta and walking meditation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, probably everybody heard that. So go ahead. Because mm-hmm. a recording. Oh, yeah. So, um, so just to recap, your question was about <laughs> <laughs> these will all be going on Dharma seed. So, um, yeah. So about the transition of walking, and and it felt natural to to focus to have lifting, moving, and placing be more your your object. Yeah, well, that's what we were saying earlier. This is a concentration practice. And like with Vipassana, with the walking, we're, you know, that's going to be predominant in our awareness because we're paying attention to walking. So it's, we're not actually changing objects in Vipassana when we go from whatever's arising as we're sitting and then we're noticing the sensation of getting up. You know, we're still tracking a common thread there. So we're not actually changing objects, mm-hmm. even though it you know, kind of seems like we are. With this, I mean, it's your practice, and you can do whatever you want. But if you want to actually be doing metta the way it's intended, you would be staying with the metta while you were walking. And that's how it is with any concentration practice, is that you would you know, have enough attention to be able to walk without hurting yourself but you're not actually taking the walking as your object. 
and that's what um, makes it a concentration practice is the continuity of the object. So, so would, would having a felt experience of meta, like I, that seems to be an easier thing for myself to move into walking. If I, if I could locate it as a felt experience in my body and then take that from the cushion out onto the, when doing walking meditation sort of as a transition, would that be uh, a viable form of, of transitioning from sitting to walking and including meta or... Or so, so the question is if he, if he was to um, effectively find the body contact of, of meta, the body sensation of meta, and take that as the object in walking, would that be helpful? Mm-hmm. And remember, the object of meta is the person, is the category of being. So that's the object, not, not the meta itself. Mm-hmm. So the skillfulness would be to be clear about what category of being you're working with yourself or someone else and, and hold that as your object and their goodness and then walk and if, and if it starts getting disruptive slow down and so but this in concentration you can walk as fast or as slow as you want some people find fast walking somehow is helpful but not a lot of people do but some, some do but the point is there's no regimen on how you walk yeah, no form Good place to stop. Sleep well. Sleep well. May you fall asleep in your own goodness. (laughs) (laughs) And wake up in your own goodness. (laughs) Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.